In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WATH What a marvelous weekend we just had, and uh, uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm sore today. Various muscles and so on. Got a lot of yard work done. Added some grass seed where it needed to be. Aerating the entire yard. Not to mention picking up a whole bunch of sticks. And um, I don't know, these windy gusts we've had recently have certainly uh, done a little bit of tree trimming for me. (laughs) We have some large trees on our property, and it's amazing uh, how many sizable limbs come down when we have those big puffs and big storms. Anyway... Makes for a nice campfire. And we had a couple of those this weekend, too. There's something, Scott, about... Hello? Is is that you or me? (laughs) That's you. That's me? (laughs) I don't know that sound. Anyway, there's something very um, relaxing about sitting around a campfire, even if it's not out in the woods, if it's just in your back... back, um, yard you know what I mean yeah things are quiet and there's the glow of the fire and just nice conversation and well you get it yeah well we did a couple of those all right well let's see here today is unless I'm mistaken May 2nd right yep it is today is national truffle day National Life Insurance Day, and Melanoma Monday. Okay. Now, I know what life insurance is, and I should know what melanoma is, but I need your help. Melanoma is a type of skin cancer. Okay. So this day raises awareness of that to get checked. And uh, see a specialist about... I I do that regularly. Yes. Um, Nathan Meisel down at Oakview. Oakview? Yes. I think that's it. Yes, see a dermatologist and get a checkup periodically if you notice unusual spots or itching or moles on the skin changing color and itching and all that symptomatic type thing that goes along with those need to get those checked where they can do a biopsy and send it off yep have it checked out get back to you to see if you need further attention national truffle day now that's an item you eat right correct and forgive my poor memory 
truffle is essentially made out of what? Um, well, it is a truff, a, a fruiting body of a subterranean fungus, predominantly one of the many species of the genus Tuber, uh, in addition to that. Wait but, a minute. you saying I'm going to be eating something moldy? Uh that could be, yes. Fungus type thing. Yeah, I don't are, think I'd eat it if I knew it. They are they are tasty, though. You've had them? Mm-hmm. Yes. They're not bad. They're, they're rare, too, at times. So I've seen people put on uh, Facebook pages where they find those and they're rare finds. And then they say, are you going to eat them? And, and you know, you hear response back... Uh, that, yes, they're going to eat them, fry them up. Um, they, well, they're, it's a plant? Yeah, they're edible. I mean, it's it, they're just like mushrooms, kind of like. Oh, they, wow. they grow underground. They're tree roots. I love mushrooms. Yeah. So sometimes they're expensive because, uh, again, they're they're rare. Sometimes they go for, oh, thousands of dollars per pound. Wow. For the, the high-end kind okay. of truffles. Well, so. because we weren't here yesterday, we'll tell you about yesterday as well. So on May 1st, it was School Principals Day. It was May Day. It was National Lemonade Day. National Mother Goose Day. National Chocolate Parfait Day. It was Law Day, like the law. It was National Loyalty Day, National Infertility Survival Day, and Silver Star Service Banner Day. Lengthy list. All right, so I think we're caught up on um, our daily stuff. With Scott Daly. That would be me. Yeah. Well, let's see here. What about historical stuff? On this date in 1945, more than one million German soldiers officially surrendered to the Western Allies in Italy and Australia. One million. Also, on this date, World War II, Battle of Berlin ends as Soviet Army takes Berlin and General Wielding, Wilding, W-E-I-D-L-I-N-G. Anyway, he surrenders. 1949, on this date, Arthur Miller wins the Pulitzer Prize for Death of a Salesman. Nineteen eighty two during the Falklands War, Argentine cruiser General Belgrano sunk by British submarine conqueror. With that sinking it killed more than three hundred and fifty men. In 2008, Cyclone Nargis 
makes landfall in Myanmar, killing over 130,000 people and leaving millions of people homeless. In the year 2011, Osama bin Laden, the suspected mastermind behind the September 11th attacks and the FBI's most wanted man is killed by U.S. Special Forces in Abbottabad, Pakistan. Okay, let's see here. Famous birthdays. I won't try to do these in any particular order. We'll just do them. Abraham Gessner. G-E-S-N-E-R. He was born in 1797. He died in 1864. Abraham Paneo Gessner was a Canadian physician and geologist who invented kerosene. Really? Yeah, we had him... Uh, Once before, didn't we? Yeah, last, I think Friday, actually. Huh. He's born May 2nd. Oh, that's because he passed on April 29th. That's why. You had him in as a famous death. And now as a famous birthday. Yes. Celebrity birthday, I guess. Yeah. Well, I used some kerosene over the weekend. Yeah. Okay, next. Elijah McCoy. Born in 1844. Died in 1929. He was a Canadian-born engineer who worked on lubrication of steam engines, born free on the Ontario shore of Lake Erie. He traveled to the United States as a young child when his family returned in 1847, becoming a U.S. resident and citizen. Okay. The Red Baron, born in 1892, died in 1918. The Red Baron. The Red Baron. Taken out by Snoopy. Really? And the Royal Guardsman. Remember that song? Snoopy? Yeah. And the Red Baron? All right. Manfred Albrecht. I don't don't think Snoopy truly had much to do with it. Yeah, probably not. But in the song, he did. Okay. Uh, Von Richthofen, known as in English as Baron Von Richthofen. The Red Baron was a fighter pilot with the German Air Force during World War II. He is considered the ace of aces of the war, being officially credited with 80 air combat victories. Now we have a caller. Let's just uh, bring them in now. Good morning. Good morning. In regard to truffles, I'll bet you like this definition, since you like chocolate. Really? Yes. It's a candy made of chocolate, butter, and sugar, and it's shaped usually into balls. And then covered with uh, a powdered uh, chocolate, a cocoa. Well, I would eat it even if I didn't know what it was, I think. <laughs> um, yes, I am. I, I think many people might have heard of that, but not necessarily the underground fungi. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, well, thanks for the help. You're welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Um, now, we have two famous deaths to bring up. Leonardo da Vinci. Born in 1452, died in 1519. And uh, most of us don't need much more on him. He was, of course, an artist. 
Yes, of the High Renaissance. He was a painter, draftsman, engineer, scientist, theorist, sculptor, and architect. Now, I find it interesting that they added the word draftsman. Yeah. He was also an inventor. He invented the parachute, the helicopter, an armored fighting vehicle, the use of concentrated solar power, a calculator, a rudimentary theory of plate tectonics, and the double hull. H-U-L-L. I'm just going to have to look him up tonight while I'm watching TV. Leonardo da Vinci. He sounds like quite a remarkable guy. I I had known he was, but, I mean, I didn't realize some of those things. That's that's amazing. Also invented a barreled cannon, the automatic weapon, weapon, uh, a revolving bridge. A winged flying machine, which they have in parentheses, the airplane. Diving equipment. Remarkable. Of his other inventions. Okay, and the last uh, name for the day is that of Martin Bormann. B-O-R-M-A-N-N. Born in 1900 and died in 1945. Martin Ludwig Bormann was a German Nazi Party official and head of the Nazi Party Chancellery. He gained immense power by using his position as Adolf Hitler's private secretary to control the flow of information and access to Hitler. So maybe he meant well? No, I don't think so. So the type of information he was withholding from Hitler would be harmful if it were known to the Hitler efforts. Possibly, or he could have provided propaganda to Hitler to encourage him to continue the war. And he kept people, he protected Hitler. Okay, so I get it now. Yeah. So, propaganda. So he wasn't uh, executed in the long run for misbehaving. Um, It doesn't say whether he was. It just said he passed uh, on this date in 1945, as you mentioned there, May 2nd. All right, well, good morning, folks. Um I have a a, a report from the New York Times in this morning. Uh, By the way, looking ahead, uh, we do have Chris Meal, Athens County Commissioner, joining us on Wednesday. At this point, that's our only guest this week, but that can change. But uh, Chris Meal will be joining us on Wednesday. Um, New York Times um, has an, uh, an item. It says, why did U.S. schools make so much progress in the 1990s and the early, 2020, or 20, early 2000s? There, I got it out. In 
And they go on, students' reading and math skills have improved since the 1990s. Readers of this newsletter know that we try to avoid bad news bias. (coughs) This is written by David Leonhardt, by the way. My colleagues and I cover plenty of worrisome stories here. But we also want to make sure we're covering encouraging ones. The world is full of both, after all. So today I'm going to focus on a positive and mostly overlooked trend in American education. For years you've probably been hearing that our schools are in crisis and K-12 through education in the U.S. certainly has problems. But it has also been improving for much of the past few decades according to several crucial metrics. Starting in the late 1990s, the math skills of students in elementary and middle schools began to improve. A few years later, reading skills started improving as well. So here are the average results from the National Assessment of Education Progress for 4th and 8th graders through 1996. So, you know, in at the age of whatever they were, um... In 1996, they're all at pretty much zero. But in mathematics, let's see here. Uh, I don't know how to, um, let's see here, the average results. Well, let me just tell you, you can't I can't show you this chart here. But um, the math levels when comparing fourth graders with eighth graders and the reading levels when comparing those two two grades, the fourth graders have far outshined the eighth graders. That's really odd, isn't it? Seems to, well, yeah, I mean, one would think. But uh, on the other hand, schools have had changes in policies. Um, We just hope that the eighth graders can catch up along the way. Um, but, But that's just an interesting thing. Yeah, kind of goes against the norm. You would think think the 8th graders would be more skilled than the 4th graders. Yeah, a little more proficient, yes. Anyway, and here are measures of racial inequality from the math portion of the same test. As you can see, gaps between white students and students of color declined in the 1990s and the 2000s. Yeah. 
Um, so things are better for the black and Hispanic students than they had been. Racial gaps in reading skills also shrunk during this period. As Thomas Kane, a Harvard professor of education and economics, says about the recent educational progress, it may be the most important social policy success of the last half century that nobody seems to be aware of. Well, why? Why is it different? There appears to be two main causes. First, many states began to emphasize school accountability starting in the 1990s. Massachusetts, North Carolina, Texas, and other states more rigorously measured student learning and pushed struggling schools to adopt approaches that were working elsewhere. The accountability movement went on in the national 2000s. Uh, yeah, went, I'm sorry. The accountability movement went national in the 2000s. The law signed by George Bush, um, rather through laws signed by both President George Bush and President Barack Obama. I'll try to do a better job of reading this to you folks. The timing of the test score increases is um, consistent with this story. As researchers at the Brookings Institution have noted, as you can see in the charts, the biggest gains came shortly after states began holding schools more accountable for student learning. My reaction is, well, duh. Anyway, my reaction doesn't really matter. Here we go on. In more recent years, the gains leveled off. This pattern suggests that schools made some important changes in response to accountability policies, but then struggled to maintain the pace of improvement. A second major cause of increased learning seems to have been school funding. It rose during the 1990s and early 2000s, States with especially sharp increases included Michigan, Nebraska, New York, and Vermont. That's according to Kenneth Shores of the University of Delaware and Christopher Candelaria of Vanderbilt. Typically, the funding increases were larger for low-income schools than for high-income schools. That may help explain why racial gaps in reading and math stills, um, still declined. Exposure to higher levels of public K-12 through spending when you're in a school has a pretty large benefit effect. Sorry. Has a pretty large benefit 
on the adult outcomes of kids. Uh, Karabo Jackson, who's an economist at Northwestern, has said those effects are much more pronounced for children from low-income families. Of course, there are caveats to the recent trends in educational progress. The racial gaps, while smaller, are still large. Reading scores did not rise as much as math scores, perhaps because reading is more heavily influenced by students' lives outside of school, while math is mostly taught at school. High school test scores did not rise as much as middle school or elementary school stores, scores. And some forms of accountability backfired, leading schools to focus more on tests and, and test-taking than on actual learning. Yet, the overall trend, shall we just say, better lives. American children learning more was enormously positive. Education often changes people's lives. One study in Texas, for example, found that improvements in previously struggling schools led students there to become more likely to graduate from both high school and college and earn more at the age of 25 years of age. Broader research offers a similar message. The pay gap between college graduates and everybody else is nearly is nearing a record high. More educated Americans are more likely to be in stable relationships and to be happy with their lives and less likely to suffer from loneliness, chronic pain, alcohol, and drug abuse. Well, these differences have long existed but they have widened significantly in recent decades. As the economists Ann Case and Angus Deaton documented in their 2020 book entitled The Deaths of Despair and the Future of Capitalism. That's why the improvement in American schooling during the 1990s in the early 2000s was a cause for celebration. As Keynes says, it deserves to be a major news story, even if it wasn't one. I think this, uh, have I gone on long enough, or do you think it, I should finish it up? Well, uh, maybe finish what you started. Okay. By now, I imagine that some of you are thinking, but what has happened to these trends during the pandemic? Um, he says later this week he's going to try to answer that question in another writing. 
So that kind of finishes it up about the educational thing for today. Uh, a couple little blurbs here regarding the war in the Ukraine. About 100 civilians have been rescued from the bunkers beneath a steel plant in Maripool. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made an unannounced visit to Kiev this weekend. I guess she's supposed to meet with the Polish president today. Long lines are forming at the, what the Ukraine's gas stations are, which may signal a coming fuel crisis there. A Russian oligarch criticized Vladimir Putin's war in Ukraine. Retribution was swift. And if some of you have been watching some of the TV coverage, Flowers for the Fallen. A country under invasion takes time to mourn. Well, let's, uh, let's change it to the virus, okay? Coronavirus outbreaks in Beijing and Shanghai are battering the Chinese economy. Uh, they're tackling it as best they can. But, at least in the case of Beijing, officials introduced sweeping restrictions but stopped short of a full lockdown. Here in the U.S., public safety net official, uh, net hospitals, uh, let me start that over. Public safety net hospitals <coughs> in the U.S. are being overwhelmed by a torrent of health problems that worsened during the pandemic. See, the pandemic housing boom created tremendous wealth for homeowners but left renters behind. ISIS-K, the Islamic State affiliate in Afghanistan, appears to be, be, appears to be behind a string of recent attacks that have killed at least 100 Afghans. Okay, we've got a couple of officials who are pushing for a narrower tax, I'm sorry, child tax credit. We have Chloe Maxim, who's from Maine and Canyon Woods, Canyon Woodward. They're saying neglecting rural America is hurting the Democratic Party.
Margaret Renkel recently argued if Republicans want fewer abortions, they should support more family-friendly policies. Yeah, I think I've hit most of the highlights. Hey, aren't the Oscars tonight? I'm not sure if they are. Do you have something there? Well, seems to me the first Monday in May is the Oscars. See see if I'm right or wrong on that. <laughs> I typed in, are the Oscars? And the first thing that came up <laughs> said, are the Oscars rigged? Rigged? <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> uh, the 2022 Oscars. When are the Oscars 2022? Well, apparently they've already happened. March 27th. They mm-hmm. happened. Okay. Let's see. Well, maybe this is the party they're talking about. The first Monday in May means it's time for the Met Gala, or gala if you prefer. Officially, the event is a black tie fundraiser for the Metropolitan Museum's Costume Institute. Yeah, I have this wrong. So anyway, it's kind of a Super Bowl of fashion. Don't know if there will be TV coverage live tonight or not. Oh, I'm sure there will be. Maybe on the E! channel, entertainment channel. They like to show things like that. Yep. See you. Um, came across a report this morning. We can add it to our list for going into more detail down the road, but um, we have a pile here of... Well, we'll just read some of these to you. This is the okay. 2022's Greenest States in America. Um, here's another thing. It says, are you ready for Giving Day? 2022's Healthiest and Unhealthiest Cities in America. How would you like to be in that group? <laughs> the healthiest? Wouldn't mind. Yeah. States whose unemployment claims are recovering the quickest. Safest states during COVID. Here's my next report. Here it is. Most and least stressed states, generally. You get the idea. Lots of important information. 2022's most and least federally dependent states. So... I brought in a new one this morning entitled 2022's Best and Worst States for Working Moms. Now, I think I think this is important, but we only have a few minutes left, so what I really think we should first do is update people on the sports scene. So... Um, first off, all high school baseball teams 
varsity, junior varsity, they've been underway. I went to see uh, Athens JV team Saturday. I have a grandson playing on that team. And he has had a, what do you call it, a stress injury, but he's now back in action. So for a while there, he was having to rest. Um, you know, people go to the field. They've got lawn chairs. They've got uh, a small state, small seating benches, that sort of thing. And it was it was fun. And these kids are playing hard. As you know, I coached soccer at Athens for many years. Seeing the parents support their kids, seeing the kids playing hard, it's just a very warm thing. Scott, update us on the sports scene as you know it to be presently. Well, where shall we start? Let's start with the Cincinnati Reds. Boy, oh boy, are they struggling. Yeah. They uh, now have tied the worst record, a record of futility, by going 3-19, and 19, uh, the first team to do so since the Cleveland Spiders, I believe, in 1899. So the Reds are struggling. Um, obviously, I'm kind of surprised the manager is still there because when this happens, usually the manager is the first one to go. Mm-hmm. However, a manager is only as good as his players. But... Ownership does that to send a message to the players. Something's got to change. You know, they pay these guys very well. Cincinnati had about a 20% drop in their payroll, though, when they lost a couple good players to free agency, uh, notably Nick Castellanos to the Phillies. Uh, he signed their $100 million for five years. Uh, the Reds obviously can't afford that. They're still paying Joey Votto $25 million a year. They signed Joey to a 10-year contract, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, so he's still got a few years left on that at 25 mil per year. Um, They've had some injuries now. Jonathan India, who was the rookie of the year last year, is back on the injured list. Uh, One of their young pitchers has been put on the injured list. He was projected to be a starter. Uh, One of their better pitchers was traded to Minnesota in Sonny Gray. Um, you know, the, a few key pieces that are not there this year. The pitching is struggling. Um, so it's something that I'm going to say can only get better in, in Cincinnati right now. So there. This is a terribly stupid question. I'm embarrassed to ask it. Are you saying there's some players no longer playing for the Reds but still must be paid by them? That happens at times, yes, uh, depending on the, the verbiage of the trade. Uh, you know, for instance, when the Reds traded Jesse Winker to Seattle, they basically said, you can have Jesse Winker as long as you take a Eugenio Suarez, their third baseman, and his big contract. He had a good year for the Reds a couple years ago, so they signed him to a big contract. Eight years, I think, a long-term contract. And then the last couple of years, he's not been very good. I mean, he's hit uh, way below 200. 
his home run production is way down. And so they made a deal with Seattle that they would include him. Seattle would take him and also take the salary. Now, sometimes the Reds or other teams are responsible for the salary depending on the language of the trade. So they got a good player in Jesse Winker. Yeah, they got a pretty good player in Suarez, I think. But his numbers don't back up that. Uh, but, yes, that happens. Uh, I, one I can think of is Bronson Arroyo a few years ago as a Reds pitcher. Uh, when he was done playing, they still owed him for another year or two because uh, they, they basically released him. Now, if he quit on his own own volition, that's a different story. But he didn't. Same way with Brandon Phillips. They were still having to pay him after he quit playing or after he was designated for assignment. But, yes, it does happen. So, But the Reds, with us being a small market city like they are, they can't afford these big salaries like you know, New York Yankees or Los Angeles Dodgers or, uh, you know, now the Philadelphia Phillies and New York Mets have all dumped a bunch of money into free agency. And, uh, you know, it remains to be seen where they're going. Now, the Phillies aren't doing too great. They dumped a bunch of money in the free agency market. They're, they're not having too great of a year. Same way with the Mets. They, they paid a bunch of money to free agents, too. That could turn around. You know, This they've only been playing one month. So, I mean, the Reds could turn it around, too. They could hit a hot streak. Who knows? Is it likely? Probably not, unless they get some of their players back from injuries and uh, they get some decent pitching. Now, they did get some good pitching out of these trades to Minnesota when they traded Sonny Gray. They got a great number one pick of a pitcher, I think, from Minnesota in return for that trade. They got a great two young great young pitchers from Seattle in that trade too. So if these guys come along like the Reds are hoping they will, uh we may see some things turn around too. So uh you know, some of the guys they got play I can't tell you half the guys that are in the starting lineup that I know who they are. <laughs> some of them yes. Most of them, no. And I can't, couldn't tell you the ones coming off the bench either. And that's unusual for you. Yeah. Because you're normally right on top of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, whenever they have these players come in uh, or they make trades, but a lot of these guys are calling up from the minor leagues. You know, they're sending guys down. They're calling up players. Luis Castillo, their number one pitcher, he hasn't pitched for the Reds yet. He's on a rehab assignment. He had an injury, so he should be returning soon. That's got to help. So, um, yeah, like I said, it can only get better. The Indians, on the other hand, they started out a little slow, but they're starting to rebound now. They had, a, I think, a nine-game losing streak, and now they've got a two-game winning streak. Um, so, you know, just that's baseball. Um, Pirates are right there with the Reds. Uh, they're not as bad as the Reds record-wise, but I think Pittsburgh and Cincinnati play the next uh, three days, so remains to be seen what happens there too. Uh, the NFL draft happened beginning last Thursday. Uh, the Bengals, I'm, I'm questioning some of the Bengals' picks 
Uh, they did not get a very good grade from the so-called experts. Um, they, they made some draft picks that I'm not sure what they did. They drafted two safeties, um, but I'm not sure that's where a need is for the Bengals. They need offensive line help for protection of Joe Burrow. Um, so they graded out about a B minus C plus on the draft. Um, I did not see any Bobcats drafted. Now, some of them may sign as un, undrafted free agents, which means they weren't picked in the NFL draft, but they can still get basically a tryout with a team is what that amounts to. Uh, the Cleveland Browns did okay, but within the division of the Browns and the Bengals, are the Baltimore Ravens, and they, I think, had a terrific draft. They picked some great players for their needs, and I think they've graded out like at an A+. Plus. This was who? The Baltimore Ravens. Ravens. Yeah, who are also in the same division as the Bengals and the Browns. So uh, it, it remains to be seen. I mean, you know, you get these sleepers that come out of nowhere, and they perform at a high level in the NFL, but uh, – with the way the Reds are playing right now, someone said the other day, I heard him say, bring on the Bengals. <laughs> so we're, we're going to have to wait for that just a bit. Um, Bobcat baseball, right at about a 500 mark. Same way with uh, Lady Bobcat softball. They're both uh, right in the middle of the pack in the MAC, and uh, their overall records are both standing right around 500. Fair enough. And, uh, of course, uh, those games continue. Yes, the NBA playoffs are in full swing now. And uh, they're down to the uh, semifinals, I do believe. So the NBA plays on through June, it seems like, anymore. Yeah, I was amazed uh, to see some of those games on television yesterday. Yeah, those are good. I, this is the time I like to watch NBA basketball's the playoffs. These guys let it all out. They're playing hard, playing tough. Well, folks, we're nearly out of time. Let me just say that today they say the high will be 74. We're at 61 now. Tomorrow, 80. How about that? That's kind of cool. But rain showers. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're out of time. All right. Bye-bye. In our 72nd year of serving Southeast Ohio, AM 970 and 97.1 FM. WATH FM. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Delays are reported in Ukraine's port city of Mariupol, where hundreds more civilians are hoping to be evacuated from a steel plant today. Officials say buses scheduled to take them to safety haven't gotten there yet. About 100 others did leave yesterday, this woman among them. When the shells started when landing, the shells started here, landing I here, heart, I thought my heart was going to stop and, and that I wouldn't survive. Many have already arrived in Ukrainian-held territory where relief workers await them. Correspondent Charlie Dagata is following the fight from eastern Ukraine. In another indication, the war has extended beyond these front lines to Russian soil. Explosions were reported in the Russian border town of Belgorod. Where-